Here's Charlene Steinkamp. Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. I do want to mention to all of the men, we've got a special breakfast next week, and uh, we want to invite you to come to that on the 14th. It'll be a special time to get together on Saturday morning for about an hour and a half. So on the way out today, stop by the men's booth and buy a ticket and come and be a part of our men's breakfast. Today we're dealing with how to overcome temptation, how to deal with desires that destroy. We had a few examples in the skip of the wannabes, but here we're going to look at what the Scripture talks about and how to overcome, how to to conquer these desires that can destroy our lives. James chapter 1 is our passage. We're going to start in verse 12. It says, blessed. Now that word blessed means happy. Blessed, happy is the man that endures temptation. So what he's saying here is happy is the one that can control his temptations. Happy is the one that can resist those temptations. That, 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 that habit is not going to devastate you and destroy you. For when he is tried, when he is withstood, he shall receive the crown of life. That means you will really start enjoying life, which the Lord has promised. What he's saying to you and I is happy is the one that can control his temptations because when he does, he'll really start living life and there's a reward. God says that when you can conquer your temptation, when you can overcome that temptation, there's a prize for you in resisting the temptation. But yet, in every one of us in this room, this message affects every single person. Because the reality is, we all have these internal battles that are going on. There's a, there's a struggle that's within. I mean, wouldn't you love just to get rid of temptation? Wouldn't life be great if there was no temptation coming at you? But yet, it's like a psycho, isn't it? We have good intentions, but then there's failure. Then there's guilt and shame. And then there's good intentions again. And then there's failure, guilt, and shame. And Paul said, you know, I don't understand myself. Romans Chapter 7 and verse 15, the very things I want to do, I can't do. I don't understand. I want to do right, but I can't do it. And instead, I do the very thing I hate. You don't have to raise your hand, but I know every single one in this room that that is our battle. That we want to do right, and we end up doing the very thing that we hate. Here in our passage, James is going to tell us that that, that he who perseveres under trial, or he that, that, that can endure temptation. It's the same word in the Greek, and that's why it's translated different ways at different times, usually by the context. They would translate it. Now understand that trials come from God, and you can write this down. They, they come from God, and they're there. They come into our life. God allows them to come to help us grow to be more mature. We talked about that a few weeks ago. So trials are, that are from God, they help us grow. Write it down. Temptation is from Satan. And when temptations come, they come at us to try to get us to sin. The purpose, the cause of temptation is to get us to sin. But you need to remind yourself, maybe even jotted on the side of your notes there, that temptation isn't a sin. It's when you yield to the temptation. It's when you give in to it 
that it's a sin. I mean, for example, David. David, David when he walked out on the, on the balcony and he looked out across and Bathsheba was bathing in the pool there. The Bible says that he saw her. The temptation wasn't that he saw her, but the temptation was that he continued to gaze on her. He continued to look on her. And when that happened, lust began to fill his heart. And it began to lead him down a path. And we're going to see how temptation works in your your life and my life as well that will lead to destruction like it did in David's life. So the issue here is that the enemy is trying to deceive us. He's trying to to deceive you and I because he wants to capture our hearts. Who's ever in control of our heart, if it's God or if it's the enemy, the, the, the battle is over our heart. And the enemy knows that if he can get into your heart and the way to get into your heart is through temptation. And that's why Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart because the battle is for our heart. And the pathway to our hearts, the enemy knows, is temptation. And so that's why he comes and that's why he tempts us. Now, look with me. James chapter 1, we read verse 12. Look at verse 13. It says, when tempted. Now, I want to stop for a moment before I keep going. The reality, we must be realistic with ourselves It says, when tempted. We're all going to be tempted. It's not if you're tempted. It's when you're tempted. This is every person's battle. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But verse 14, each one, that's you, that's me, all of us, is tempted when? By his own evil desires. He's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived. Dear brothers, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Who does not change like a shifting shadow. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Now, as we look at this this morning, we're going to look at three deceptions of the enemy, of how he's trying to capture your heart. The battle is for your heart. We've got to understand his lie. We've got to reject that lie and receive the truth and apply it to our lives. Now, before I share with you these three deceptive tools that the enemy uses, we're going to pause for a word of prayer. And as we do, I want you, I want you to pray with me and say, God, reveal to me any areas where the enemy has deceived. The reality is all of us, all of us face this battle of temptation. And so what we've got to do is we've got to build like a fortress around our heart. We've got to understand the methods and the ways of the enemy, and we've got to protect our heart. And we need God to reveal to us any way that the enemy has already deceived us and then ask God to help us to reject it and to begin to pursue the truth of his word. So bow your head with me as we open now this message and just ask God to reveal areas of deception in your own heart, in your own life. Father, as we come to you, Father, we come asking that, God, you will use your word today. It's a practical word, but it's a very real word, a word that the enemy does not want us to hear Because the enemy has deceived. 
The enemy is cunning. He comes as an angel of light in disguise as trying to, to deceive us, to reject your word, to reject your ways, to rebel and ignore you, and to go our own way. But today, God, the truth is going to be presented. And as the truth is presented, let it be light that shines in the midst of darkness and brings change and transformation to our hearts this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. The first way that the enemy tries to deceive us, you can write it down as we take notes now this morning, is we are deceived by the source of our sin. What do you mean by the source of our sin? Well, the lie goes something like this. This is how the enemy comes and deceives us. The lie says, I'm not responsible for my sin. It's not my fault. That's the lie. I'm the victim here. It's my parents' fault. It's my boss's fault. It's my spouse's fault. I'm not to blame. It's not my fault that I act the way I do. Oh, it's not my fault that my attitude isn't right. It's not my fault that I'm, I'm harsh and I'm angry and I'm, I'm, I'm critical all the time. You should see the family that, that I grew up in. Oh, it's, it's not my fault that I've gotten into this, this uh, you know, uh, adulterous affair. It's not my fault. My husband, my wife, she didn't, she didn't respect me the way she should have or, or he didn't love me. He didn't recognize that I, I got my hair done. He doesn't give me compl compliments. It's, it's not my fault. You see, the lie of the enemy is to try to cast blame on others and not take responsibility for our own problems. It's not my fault. I know, I know I should be more honest at work. I know I should be more punctual. Oh, I know I shouldn't be on Facebook and surfing the internet on company time. But, you know, my company doesn't pay me what I deserve anyway. And so I'm giving them what, what you know, what they pay me. And so we, we blame others. We cast the blame off. We, we don't take ownership. My sin, my behavior, my attitude, it's not my fault. What the enemy is trying to, to show us is that we should blame other people. But the lie here is that we must understand that we are responsible for our own lives and our own actions. The truth is that God doesn't tempt anyone. The truth is, the problem is not my external circumstances, but James says, no, it's my internal desires. It's the passions and the, and the desires that's in my heart. The reason we sin is not because of something out there, but it's something that's in here. It's something that's happening within my own heart and my own life. James says, there's a passion in me, and there's a passion in you, and it makes us do what we do, the things that we maybe don't even want to do. In fact, James uses a, uh, an illustration. It's this illustration that one has been enticed, and they've been dragged away, and it's a hunting term. And in this hunting term, it's like a fishing uh, term where, where you go fishing and you got a hook and you put some bait on it and when you throw it out in the water, you're going to catch a catch. I've never caught a fish with a baitless hook. The enemy understands that we are all enticed by different things. Your weakness is different than my weakness. It's different than your spouse's weakness. But the reality is we all have weaknesses and the enemy knows your weakness and he'll come after 
your weakness. And so what James says is you're enticed. That literally means you are seduced. You are carried away. You see it. It looks good. It's attractive. And it's like a magnet. You, you're, you're pulling towards it. It's pulling towards you. And he says it drags you away. Oh, we've got good desires. We've got good intentions. We don't want to, but the magnet is there and it entices us. And like a fish that takes the hook, we bite the entrapment of the enemy every time and we're entrapped by him. And that's what James is saying is you've got to reject this lie that it's not your fault and you have to accept the fact that I must take responsibility and that is the action step for you and I. The applicational point for us is that it's not my parents' fault. It's not my family's fault. It's not my mom or my dad or my boss or my employer. It's my fault. It's not my spiritual leader's fault. It's not somebody else's fault. It's not my kids' fault. It's not because I don't have a good job. It's not because my environment's not good. I've got to accept responsibility for my own desires, my own actions, my own attitudes, my own behavior. And that's a very powerful thing when we get to that place where we can take responsibility for our own decisions, actions, attitudes, and behaviors. Oh, but pastor, you know, it, 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 you know it, 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 it really, you know, that drink is not going to hurt me. This little drug is not going to hurt me. You know, I can handle this. It's not a big deal. It's not a big problem. And that's the second deception that the enemy brings at you and me is that we can handle this. The second deception that the enemy gives to you and me is that we're deceived by the consequences of our actions, the consequences of our sins. It looks like this. I can handle this drink. Oh, yeah, I, I, I know. I know that I go to work before my children get up, and I know I come home before they go to bed, but it's just for a season, and it's really for them. It's so that I can provide for them. Oh, I, I, I know that I'm taking more of these prescription drugs than I should, but, but, but it's okay. It's, it's just for a little while because of the pain that I've got. I, I know that I've been really angry lately, and I've been exploding, and, 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 I, and it's like a, a Coke can that's shaken up and shaked up and shaked up, shaked up, and the lamp just goes off. I know that's how I am, but, but, but I've been under so much stress lately. And what happens is we begin to rationalize we begin to say, and this is the lie, I can handle this. It's okay because it's only for a little while, or it's okay because it's not that big of a deal. And the lie is that I can handle it. But the truth that God wants you and I to see here is that we've got to understand that the, the truth of God's word says sin is more than an act, but it's a process. And James is going to show you and I in the word here that sin is not just oh, an act that we fall into, but there is a process that happens and that process is in our heart and we've got to understand how it works so that we can stop it. So in your outline, I've given to you on the bottom there how temptation works. We've already looked at the first way temptation works in our life and that is there is a desire. Now what the enemy does is he takes godly desires godly needs, things that, that, that God has built within us, and he tries to get us to fulfill them in ways that violates God's word. So God has given us a desire for intimacy. 
sexual intimacy. God has created that within us. But he's created it in the confines of marriage between a man and a woman that has made a covenant relationship with one another. But the enemy will come and the enemy will say, you've got these desires and the desires will begin to increase within you. And before you know it, there's the desire to fulfill those urges that God has created, but to fulfill it outside of the bounds of marriage. Now, God hasn't told us that we can't do it, but he's told us we need to fulfill these urges within his boundaries. The urge for food, it's a good thing. We need it. But when it's used as an emotional crutch, where we eat too much or we don't eat enough in times of stress or emotional situations, it's not a good thing. Anger. God has given us that emotion. The emotion of anger. But he's given it for times of holy injustice against evil and wickedness. But he doesn't want us to use it to power up and push down someone else to, to try to control a situation because it's not going our way. And we could go on and on, but we must understand that, that, that these desires are within. Paul classifies the desires of the human nature into three categories. He classifies it, first of all, as the lust of the eyes. That is, we see things and we want it. You see advertisement companies understand that and that's why they bombard us with advertisements on tv you've got to have a better car a newer car a nicer car a bigger house a nicer house and they'll always use you know beautiful images to the eyes and it's this it's this image that they're creating so that you will desire more pleasures more possessions that you will desire things that you see and sometimes though they're not wrong those things become a priority and a pursuit of our life. Paul says not only is it the lust of the eyes, it's the lust of the flesh. To fulfill our feelings, our, our, our pleasures, that which we see, that which we can touch, that which we can taste. And then he says the pride of life, the hidden third one that's there. That third one is a, is a destructive one for the church, for people within the church. You know, we get a conquering hand, a, an upper hand on the lust of the eyes. We get an upper hand on the lust of the flesh. But it's this third one, the pride of life, where we begin to be, be self-centered. Where we begin to focus on how we're going to meet our own needs and our own desires. And we become self-sufficient. Where we find we really don't need God anymore. And we begin to look to how we can fulfill our own needs with our work, with our hands, with our mind, with our intellect. And all three of these, Paul, will show us in Scripture, they're a part of our sinful nature. A nature that we were born into. Because of one man, Paul says in Romans, we will all die. And that's because of Adam's sin. But because of one man, Jesus Christ, we will all live. And so what we must see here is that temptation starts with this desire. That's why he says in, in verse 14, each one is tempted when by his own evil desires. Now can I say again, the enemy knows your weakness. The enemy knows which strings to push, which buttons or strings to pull, and which buttons to push in your life. And just because you're sitting here with certain areas that the enemy battles with you in and tempts you in, remind yourself at this point that temptation again is not sin. It's when we give in to those desires to fulfill those temptations in ways that would violate God's word. 
Which leads us then to the second way that temptation works in our life is it begins to be deceptive. It's, it's enticing. It's that bait that's luring us. Don't take the bait. We've got to understand that it's a temptation. The enemy's trying to drag us away. You can't catch fish, let me say it again, with a baitless hook. The enemy is baiting you. He's trying to entrap you. He's trying to get you in times where you're in a spiritual high or in a spiritual low. In times when you feel alone or isolated. In times where you feel like nobody understands you. In times where you want more and you've got desires that you want more and more and more. In those kinds of situations, the enemy is there to bait you. Let me tell you, he comes at you at times when you least expect it. In fact, he comes as the angel of light with disguises. He never comes as Satan himself to you. He never comes saying, hey, this is a great sin. Go ahead and partake in that. No, he makes it appealing. He makes it something that within you is going to fulfill an urge and a desire. He'll come at you in times when you're discouraged. He'll come at you at times when you're bored. He'll come at you at times when you're discontent, when you feel empty, when you feel alone, when you're feeling insecure. He'll come at you when you've been wounded. Boy, is that a big one in the church. You've been wounded. You've been hurt. What is the enemy going to do? He's going to come, and he's going to start knocking on your door. He's going to start messing with you so that you can give up. You can say, oh, it's no good. It's worthless. I, I don't want to continue on. He'll come in those moments in your life. He'll come when you feel bitter and angry and sad and alienated and unsupported. You see, what he's doing is he's trying to entice you. He's got your desires going. Your imagination is beginning to run. Now this enticement, it says, you will be dragged away and enticed. So the second step or the second way here that the enemy works is there's this desire. It leads to deception. And then it leads us to the third way that temptation works. And that is we disobey. Look, it says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. It begins in the mind, but it results in our actions. We live it out. We begin to flirt with it, and that what we flirt with, we're going to fall to. And so we begin to disobey, which then it says, sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So desire, deception, disobedience leads to spiritual death. And death in Scripture always means separation from God. And the reality for you and I in this area and the truth that we've got to hold on to in this area is a truth of understanding for you and me that we have a choice. The truth is that sin is not simply an act, but it's a result of a process. So how do we overcome this? How do we defeat it? What's the application for you and I? Is we've got to stop at the desire level and make no provisions for the flesh. Don't let the desires grow. Don't let the desires turn into imaginations and fixation. But we've got to cut it right there. Nip it. Stop it. Right in the beginning stages. That's why I've put this scripture in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 in your outline. I've written it down in the Message Bible. If you don't have it, you can look on the outline or this, on the screen. It says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture 
that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognize what He wants from you, and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always trying to drag you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops war, a well-formed maturity in you. Isn't that a wonderful scripture? That we don't become so well-adjusted to our culture that we don't understand what the enemy is trying to do. So, you've got a problem. You've got a, a struggle You've got to understand what God wants you to see, and that is Satan always has a pattern. It starts with desire. It will lead to deception, and in that deception, you'll begin to plan it out, and that's where it leads to disobedience, and when we disobey, like the prodigal son, we leave the father's house, and in leaving his house, we come to a place of spiritual death. Now, if you're a tweeter, if you tweet, you may want to tweet this. When temptation calls, hang up. When temptation comes knocking, close the door. Don't even open the door. But if you open it, close it right away. If you don't want to get stung, then don't mess with the bees. Martin Luther says you, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from nesting in your hair. When temptation comes, you say, get behind me, enemy. Get behind me, Satan. I'm not letting you go there. Now, that reminds me of the poor farmer. You know, the poor farmer, his wife went out shopping one day. She came home. When she came home, she had this beautiful dress, much more than they could afford. It was like a whole month's salary. And he said, honey, what have you done? And she said, I couldn't help myself. I put it on, and it was like the enemy was talking to me and saying, you look so good in that dress. You need to buy that dress. And the farmer said, but honey, you know how to deal with the enemy. You say, get behind me, Satan. And she said, I did that. And he said, it looks good from back here too. <laughs> you know, you can't stop it from flying, but you can stop the birds from nesting in your hair. The reality is he will come knocking. The third deception and the final deception for you and I this morning it's found in verses 17 and 18. And the deception goes like this. We are deceived concerning the nature and the character of God. The nature and the character of God. The lie that the enemy has gotten us to buy into is I've got to fulfill these desires now. It's almost like we feel like we're going to miss out on something if we don't do it now. Instead of waiting and understanding that God has given these desires to you, his desire is the best for you, it's the highest for you, but we feel like we're going to miss something. And so because we feel like we're going to miss out, in a sense, we're saying to God, even though you probably will never verbally say it, in your action, you're saying it. You're saying, God, I've got to fulfill this desire now, and I'll get serious later. I'll obey later. I'll follow you later. And that's a lie from the enemy. You see, the enemy is, is getting you to fulfill those urges within in human ways, in, in natural ways, and instead of the godly ways that God has designed for us. The truth of who God is and the character of God is that God is good and His will always has my highest and best interests in mind. 
You see, if God says no, it's because he knows the harm that it's going to cause. If God says not yet, he knows the destruction that it's going to bring to my life or my family. You see, his desire, his character, God's will and desire for us is always for our highest and our best good. And therefore, when I understand the nature and the character of God, I can trust God. Even though my desires are pulling me, I can trust that God knows what's best. Now that's where discipline comes in. That's where prayer comes in. That's where the word comes in. That's where I've got to lay before me the plan that says, God, I'm trusting you. I'm going to trust that your plan is a good plan for my life. And that's the application. As I say, God, I trust you. I trust that you've got a good plan for my life. And yes, the desires are pulling me and it's like a magnet. The door, God, I, I, I don't want to open it, but it's something in me. But God, I need your strength. And the beautiful promise that God gives to us is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 is that no temptation, no matter what your temptation is, no temptation has overtaken you, overpowered you but that which is common to man. You know what that means is that you're not the only one facing it. The enemy would want you to think you're the only one and you're not faithful to God. You don't love God. Look at you giving in to this. Look at you. You might as well just abandon. It's no good. It's not worth it. God doesn't love you. You're not a good servant. You know, he'll speak all kinds of lies. He's the father of lies. And what God's telling us through the word is first of all, temptation is not sin. We don't have to give in. And the temptation we're going through, we're not the only one that's going through it. And if others have overcome it, then I can overcome as well. And that gives you victory. I'm telling you, every time you fall into a temptation in the past and it's beat you down and it's beat you down, when you start conquering it, it builds you up. Man, when the enemy jerks at you and you don't go there anymore, it gives you strength like you've never had before. And before you know it, you're walking with a new level of victory and freedom that comes from God. You see, this is what we've got to understand. You're not the only one. Others have overcome and you can overcome. And I love what he says next. He, talking about God, will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to carry. You mean this temptation, I can overcome it? That's what he's saying. It doesn't have to overpower you. He's given you strength and he's allowed you to go through it because he knows that you will, you will be found faithful in it. You don't have to give in. So he says here, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to carry but with the temptation will be provided for you a way of escape so that you will be able to endure. Have you ever heard someone say, I couldn't help myself, I just had to do it. I couldn't help myself. Not true. Uh-uh, that's a lie. It's not true. What he's saying here is there's a way of escape. The temptation doesn't have to overpower you. So you've got to get real and say, you know what? I've bought into a lie somewhere. 
The lie is I need it now. I want to do it now. James says, you're carried away. You've been enticed. You've been entrapped. You got to break the lie and take a hold of the truth and realize that you can't flirt with temptation. You can't argue with Satan. He's a better arguer than you are. If you try to start rationalizing and arguing with him, then he's going to win the battle. When he comes knocking, you close the door. When he rings, you hang up the phone. If you don't want to get stung by the bees, then don't go playing with the bees. You guard your heart. I just came back from Europe where they have beautiful palaces. And and these palaces have these big walls built around them. And I want you to remember, the battle is for your heart. And so what you got to do is you've got to build a barrier around your heart. You've got to protect your heart where the enemy cannot easily get to you. Man, in Europe, they would have big molts where, where, where they would have to swim through, you know, uh, uh, large areas of water. And as they would be trying to swim across, you know, the enemy trying to get to them, they then could throw their spears and different things, their arrows and all of that at them. You've got to do the same. You've got to build a, a parameter, a protection, because the enemy's after your heart. The enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy the work of God in your life. And so you've got to protect your heart. How do I protect my heart? Well, you've got to be real with yourself. Ways to escape when temptation hits you is that immediately when it comes, you've got to heed what your conscience is saying. Let me say it another way. Write it down. What your spirit is saying. Your spirit man is saying, don't go there. Don't do that. No, 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 no. This is wrong. And you heed it immediately. When it comes, I pray, God, show me the way of escape. Have you ever prayed that? God, this seems so intense. Show me the way of escape. And as soon as you pray that, God will begin to show it. He will reveal it to you, and that will help you to escape. Know your weak spot. Know where you're weak. Know when you're tempted the most. Is it late at night? Is it when you're isolated? Is it when you're discouraged? Is it after spiritual highs or or times when you've been hurt or discouraged or abandoned? When are you tempted the most? And as soon as you understand that, your conscience will say to you, be careful, and you put up that wall. A second way to escape is allow the Word of God to penetrate into your spirit. Let Scripture fall into your heart. It's a secret weapon to overcoming the enemy. When Satan calls, if you've got the Word of God and you begin to quote the Word, you stand on the Word, the enemy will flee. It's the secret weapon. Why? Because the truth shall set you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, what he's talking about here is in those moments of temptation. In those times where the enemy's trying to bind you, you will know the truth and it will set you free. Remember, what you focus on gets bigger in your life. So if you focus on God and his word, that's going to become bigger and take priority. But if you begin to focus on the temptation, it'll grow. Your imagination will grow. Your desire will grow. Your passion will grow. And before long, you're designing in your own mind how you're going to fulfill that. And deception has now enticed you and grabbed you. And now you've disobeyed and it leads to spiritual death. So you got to know the word. Study, memorize, meditate, fill it. 
into your life. The third is prayer. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 41, Jesus said, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. That literally means that you will not be overpowered by temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Isn't that so true? That's what, that's what Paul was saying. Oh, God, I don't want to. And I find myself doing the very thing I don't want to do. But as you begin to pray, you ask God to give you strength. When you battle those weak spots in your life and you begin to put parameters and you protect yourself, you'll find that you'll be victorious. The fourth comes from what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 22. Paul says to flee, to run, to resist, to run, to flee, not to bite, not to hold on. What I'm saying here is don't just fight, but flight. <laughs> That's not a misspelling. Run, flight, get out of there. Don't leave yourself in that temptation situation. So guys, if you're struggling with an area in your life, it may mean that you need to put on some proper parameters, maybe on your computer, filters, things that'll keep you from, from, from viewing and seeing because the enemy comes at men the most in their minds when it comes to sexual graphical images. So late at night, you're by yourself, it'll pop up on this computer screen and the enemy will have that moment in your heart it'll come unexpectedly you don't even know when it's going to happen that's why it's deceptive but he says don't be surprised when it comes but if you've got the right protections in your life it'll help you so guys for you that may mean putting some some parameters on your computer what I would say is, if you're a real, don't get offended by the way I say this, if you're a real geeky, computer, knowledgeable guy, get someone that's more geeky, knowledgeable, and computer literate than you, so that you can't figure out how to overcome it. Put the parameters there. Get into an accountability relationship. Change the class. Find different times where you can overcome the temptations that God brings at you, that the temptations the enemy brings at you that God wants you to overcome. And the last and the final is what I've really been talking about is we've got to determine some patterns, some areas. We've got to determine some, some, some ways and plan of how we're going to be victorious, how we can stand against the temptation. And when it comes, because we've made pre-decisions and we've planned we will find that there is a way of escape. Father, I thank you for your word. It's powerful. And today, James has given us, through the word, a practical message of how the enemy tries to deceive us. And there are so many Christians that are living in defeat. You've been listening to Charlene Steinkamp. You can write the Steinkamps at P.O. Box 10548, Papano Beach, Florida, 33061. The Steinkamps also invite you to visit their website at rejoiceministries.org.